0: Sensational, terrific! What is it? I told you, cyber Are you with me? Not exactly with you, but somewhere
1: nearby. Oh. This is cyber a podcast about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. My name is Michael, and one of the things I often hear from the management set is the Druckerism of "if you can't measure it, you can't improve it." So, if we're to take that as gospel and we want to improve cybersecurity awareness, what is it that we measure? Our guest for this episode, Dr. Sunil Chaudhry, along with colleagues, recently authored the article Developing Metrics to Access the Effectiveness of Cybersecurity Awareness Program, which was published in the Journal of Cybersecurity. As you might imagine, the question of which metrics they developed, and how, is an important one for those developing awareness programs for cybercrime prevention. Before we get to talking with Dr. Chaudry, I will remind you that we will again be joined this episode by Vanessa Henry to answer my questions about cyber lawyering. Now, as we all know, the past couple of years have been a little unusual as we all strove to overcome a pandemic. But now just imagine you were dealing with all of that after having just moved to a new job halfway around the world.
0: So when I moved from Nepal to Norway, it was, in Jan- yeah, it was in January 2020. Immediately after I moved, probably from March or April, COVID started. And I joined a new project. I was a new member and I hardly got time to meet with the partners. And then and, and everything went virtual. So you see that you talk with the people, but you don't get to meet them in face to face. It was really challenging, like, okay, now... What should we do? But gradually, like ads, things started rolling out and after like maybe took like a year or a half to get used to with that situation. So
1: one of the other things that became a big deal during the the pandemic with everybody working from home was was cyber security. So tell me a little bit about uh, CyberSec for Europe.
0: Uh, This is one of the uh, pilot projects that uh, the European Union Started So the main objective of this project is uh, to build cybersecurity capabilities that would be required or in would be necessary to maintain European democracy integrated in digital single, single market. What kind of roadmap do we build so that we can, not just for now, but even in the future, uh, the European digital market would be safe and secure. We are working on different verticals. Of Security and what we are mainly working in the cyber security awareness. Everything that we are producing from the projects, not just us, all the partners are available in the website for everyone. So it's, even though the work is funded by European Union and the work is done mainly targeting the European stakeholders or European end users, I think it will be equally beneficial for many other people like around the world or like. So, so
1: the the area that your group was working on was mainly um, cybersecurity awareness.
0: Yeah. So we are cybersecurity. So this is the main topic, like we're, we're working. But at the same time, we are also working on some other topic. But like cybersecurity awareness is the main one, like.
1: right? So you, you move from Nepal to Norway. Someone sits you down, and what's the question that they ask you? Like, well, what, what are you what are you solving for? What is the what is the issue?
0: Cybersecurity is a very big domain. So even like when I talk about awareness, so you always have to be very much particular about who are the end users. So in our case, we mainly tried to target SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises. And definitely, like I think uh, we have in, in some of the tasks, we are also targeting general civilians. But our main target is SMEs. The objective was quite open. So it was left for us to decide like what we want to do. So there are multiple tasks that we were working. And, and in one of the tasks, we mainly try to focus on SMEs. And then there is another task where we are trying to focus on supply chain and, and, and security. And then the other task where we are trying to focus on general civilians. And then there is the task where we are trying to focus on like, how do we increase the awareness effectiveness? Because we always hear about awareness, awareness, awareness. But why the things, we still continue on repeating the same thing, but we are not getting the expected results.
1: So it's not, it's
0: not quantity
1: that's the problem it's it's perhaps quality yes
0: i think it's it's more about the quality like we want to raise the awareness but are we getting the expected result from like effort that we are applying or whatever the objective we are setting are you getting that
1: it's an interesting it's an interesting point it's become of critical importance to really understand what it is that we're doing and and how it's working and i think saying that the quality of cybersecurity is an interesting starting point because it raises the question, what does quality mean for cybersecurity awareness? What are the qualities of cybersecurity and awareness that we want?
0: Yeah, the first thing that I would like to emphasize is that cybersecurity awareness is not something like one time and it's done. It's not something like this is continuous process. And, and, and we have different kind of expectations. And this has to be. For example, uh, if I'm someone working in 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 the university, I might have different need, and if I'm a, a retired person at home, like I might have different expectations. But everyone has to be aware of the, the risk they may encounter in the future, like or in or in the current time. They have to be mindful or conscious about those kind of issues. And, and how can they avoid that? This, this would, at least this should have that, that kind of basic knowledge.
1: If I'm to try and capture those, those qualities, the first one would be that cybersecurity is a process and not a patch. If you're an IT engineer, you can't just patch people. You find out they're vulnerable because they didn't know something. You upload the data to their head matrix style and now they know how to do it. It's not a one-time thing. It's, it's a process that you have to put in place. The second one is it, it, it should be personal or personalized. Everybody's different. Everybody has different threat models. Uh, a tween has a as a sibling as a threat actor, whereas a senior citizen not so much. And and I guess the third aspect is that any threat that they're aware of should be accompanied by something that they can do about it.
0: This is the main uh, problem that we see in most of the awareness initiatives nowadays. So we. Tell them like what is the problem, but we don't tell them what should they do next. Just by knowing the problem, it doesn't guarantee you that you are not going to um, get into that. For example, here in, in, in the case of cybersecurity, we can easily say that, okay, do not reply to some unknown email or some unknown call. That's good. Everyone knows that. But what if I by mistake or something, because it depends on your mood. Like, so we cannot have the same kind of mood or same kind of mentality all the time. So in case, like, if they get fooled, what should they do next?
1: It's, that's interesting because it's looking at cybersecurity awareness through a lens of cyber resilience more than cybersecurity. It's not you are cyber secure until the point that you make a mistake and now you're insecure and, and you're, you've just changed states. It's irreparable. Cyber resilience is more about something happens and you respond to it. So, so having an incident isn't the end of the story. It's it's sort of the start. So it's, that that's interesting because that, that incorporates not only the education but also the designs of processes that allow human failures.
0: And and I think this is the uh, also one of the reason that most of the uh, our cyber security attempts or awareness attempts or initiatives are failing because we might say like how to recognize those those problems but at the end we also have to tell them that how to act first the first thing is trying to avoid the problem and in the case if the problem occurred how to respond to the problem uh, after uh, doing research in this topic i felt that this is like most of the initiatives they fail to tell that
1: you did a review of of all of the literature you could you could assemble, or, or, or at least the, the stuff worth reviewing, over 30 papers, 32 papers, something like that. You we went through a fairly exhaustive exercise, and, and thank you for exhausting yourself doing the exercise, to get to sort of four categories of elements of a cybersecurity awareness program that would be worth measuring. Yeah, definitely.
0: But before that, I think it's worth mentioning, like when we started this, the first thing that came to our mind is, how do we measure it? So the first thing that came to our mind is when you try to assess or when you try to evaluate anything, first thing is that you must consider or like you should consider is who are the stakeholders? Right. So we always start from like who could be the stakeholders in an awareness effectiveness. So what we saw is that there are three main stakeholders. The one is that the end users, so who will participate in the awareness program or campaign. And the second one is like the professional. So they are also the one of the stakeholders. And the third is who is sponsoring that event? So they have their own expectations on that. So what we found is that most of the study done so far, what they try to do is they try to target one or two stakeholders. And I think we felt that this cannot be a complete evaluation of some awareness effectiveness. Like, so we try to get the idea from this uh, matrices that has been designed by European Union. Like, so this was designed for awareness st- um, effectiveness study, but for different purpose. So we try to adopt that and then try to frame it for the cybersecurity evidence purpose. And the first thing comes is impact indic- indicators. So this is that, what do we expect? So what are the objects, main objectives that we set? And, and, and based on like the studies that are available, the main target for three things. The main target, ultimate target is one, that is behavior change. But behavior doesn't come by it itself. So in order to have the behavior change, the person or the person whose behavior you are talking about should have the knowledge about the thing and then should have the attitude, kind of do attitude, like, okay, I want to do that. And knowledge and attitude should result into the behavior. It's not always that even if you have knowledge and attitude, you can make the change. But these are the three factors that we should be like, and and they come sequentially like, okay, it's first knowledge and then the kind of knowledge and attitude and then that brings the behavior change. So this impact factor is like the change in knowledge, attitude, and the behavior.
1: So in terms, of, in terms of measuring that, that would be surveys for the attitude and the knowledge. You could ask yes. people what they know, and you could ask people how they feel about stuff, but then also combined with, say, passive data analysis and, and, and analysis of actual response to, to threats or, or simulations.
0: Yes. Uh, measuring the knowledge. Even though, like, I think it's very difficult to measure the actual knowledge, we always talk about that in the university as well. Like, how do we know the actual knowledge that the student has gained in the classroom? But anyway, like, we try to use different kind of quizzes, the traditional method that we try to follow. Like, and we through that, we measure knowledge to some extent. And attitude is something like, okay, we ask the people, yeah, yeah. How, how do you feel? <laughs> how do you feel? Yeah. And but the measuring behavior is quite challenging. So, Currently, what we see is that most of the measurements depend on uh, measuring the attitude rather than the actual behavior. But there are certain methods like maybe using simulations, uh, trying to uh, measuring the passive data, like the log data that we have in the systems, or or trying to use the observation, the passive observations, where we do not interfere with the people activities, but we just try to observe them while they are but the problem with this is that we have many ethical and legal issues we encounter so it might not be possible to measure them and this is the reason that study in the past they try to stick with a digit measurement you
1: you mentioned early that cybersecurity training should be a process and and that by may, way of of making our way to sustainability indicators
0: yeah if it is for an, an organization I think they are not going to sponsor that until unless they see some real bad from that. Or you might say that, okay, we tested the people and, and they have gained a lot of knowledge from the campaign or initiative, but will that really make sense to the management or the sponsors? So they might look for concrete output from the earners. So this is where we talk about this, the value added. So if we see some changes in the management mindset, we see some change in the regulatory framework or something like if we see those kind of changes, it means that the thing will continue in the future. They're kind of signs
1: that a security culture change it's it's changed to a security culture, so it's, yes it's, it's it's the crystallization of a security oriented culture,
0: yeah, everything we cannot measure directly. So we have to see certain signs, certain change in the organisation culture, certain change in the organisation policy, certain change in the the government policy. And then from that, we can make sense that it will make sense that, okay, the awareness initiatives or campaigns that you have conducted are bringing some changes. And and the next indicator is
1: more about the the programmes themselves, those awareness programmes and their accessibility.
0: Yes, I think this will help a lot to the people like who is designing. So how suitable the material is? Are the material uh, uh, more localized and more customized or more personalized? This is more about accessibility. And and another thing is that the material that we are designing, are they reaching to the target users? Because in order to bring awareness, the content or the thing that you are producing or you're trying to decide, have to reach them. Because without reaching them, you cannot expect any kind of change. So, the first step should be it should reach them and it should be up to their quality or up to their expectation. And this is what this accessibility indicators is all about.
1: I'm guessing two sorts of gap analysis. One is between what they need to know and what you're delivering, and the other one is between what you're delivering and their expectations. Yes. I I guess that's a a good way to get to the, the final indicator, which is focusing. The program on those st- stakeholders that you mentioned at the start—the people getting the training, the people doing the training, and the people paying for the training—so making sure that they're all content and that it's being delivered in an effective way, so that all of them are are positive about the the program and the the results that yes. it's achieved. I think
0: if we can have all these informations, so all the, this kind of information, I think uh, we'll be able to make more concrete decision that how effective the awareness program or the awareness uh, campaign that we organize. So this is monitoring indicators, Is again, like our stakeholders, like, as I mentioned, like the sponsor or the people who is investing on in that, are they happy with that? Are they interested in that? How interested in, are they in, in the awareness event or with the awareness event or not? The participant, the audience, did they find it interesting or worth attending? Did they learn from that? And the professionals, Like, if I'm a cybersecurity awareness professional, did I learn something that if we are going to conduct? similar kind of event in the future, like what changes do I need to make? What lesson did I learn from that campaign? So these four indicators will provide information to all these three stakeholders, appropriate information and ultimately this will help them not just to have a more concrete view of like how effective the awareness was, but at the same time also gives idea like how can we improve in the future?
1: The Cyber for Europe program has resources that are available and, and I understand that you've been working on that project for a couple of years. So what's what's next for you? Are you staying staying with cybersecurity awareness or do you, you have some other projects that, that you're you're toiling away at
0: my expertise is in like the human factor in cyber security so it's not just uh, awareness but how do we improve the usability and experience of the system complex system so that people make minimal mistake at the same time also like try to enter in this awareness and education as well as so i am also working in the education perfect
1: well thanks very much for your time and i i look forward to what you're coming out with next
0: thank you very much and thank you for having me in the program
1: if you're involved in cyber, then you're often expected to answer questions on everything from the difference between flashable ROM and NVRAM to the environmental impact of cryptocurrency theft. The best way to get ahead of those wild questions is to ask an expert, and we happen to have cornered a cyber lawyer. Vanessa Henri is a co-founder at Henry & Wolf, an adjunct professor, an advisor on numerous boards, and a well-sought-after speaker. But more importantly, she's very patient, and she's willing to answer my silly and potentially insulting questions. So let's take advantage of that and we'll ask it this. More than once I've heard the phrase, the last thing that we want is to get lawyers involved. Can lawyers really help with cybersecurity and why not just get someone else?
2: I I know it's a doubting thing, right? We don't want to get lawyers involved. And very often we start with that mentality and then we end up getting even more lawyers involved at the end of (laughs) it because we didn't want in the first place. So first thing is, um, you know, ask before, not after. It helps a lot. I'm sure you've heard that from your parents before, and maybe lawyers do feel like parents sometimes. Like, come in. I know when I was working in the private in a private firm before, I felt like when I was walking in and there was all the software developers, I'm like, oh, that's the no-no person. <laughs> and I was like, no, I, I'm also nice, and I can help you say yes, and I can I can be a yes person if you if you do involve me before and in a situation that I've not hit the fan already. But I, I think it's important to have a lawyer. First thing is because we, we can protect the interest, right? So if you do, let's say, an intrusion testing, then comes a report. That report can be subpoenaed into court. So that means I can say, look, company A had 12 vulnerabilities on November 25, and then on December 25, none of them were resolved. Uh, you can imagine that it starts very bad a lawsuit for negligence. But if I was able to mandate somebody to verify, to support my legal opinion that I think that something needs to be done, then maybe I'm able to protect that. And I'm able to give you the leg room that you need to turn around and make the changes. I'm also able to convince you to do the changes because the idea is not to protect the document indefinitely and you to to be negligent. And definitely, right? Lawyers are not accomplices into negligence, but they're there to push you towards resolving the issues and help you identify which of these issues are very, very important. Think about director's officer's liability. Some of them will have your private car torn away and some of them will not. And I'm sure you'd like to know which one of them will have your private car thrown away and which one will not. And where is the line? So drawing lines in, into situations that are are a little bit muddy or not clear for everybody is what lawyers do. So I find it's very useful to have somebody do that. It's very useful to have somebody giving you strategic advice too, because if I know that there's a cryptocurrency law that is coming in Ontario, or if I know that something is overdue, if I know that in that situation you open to a class action lawsuit and you don't have a limitation of liability. If I negotiated your contract and I know that you have a two, three million at least that you, you may not be able to afford if you breach that thing, I may be able to give you strategic advice. In uh, Japan during uh, World War II, there was a lawyer that famously has advised a very big company to move their ports to another island. And that company today is the Fortune 100 because they did exactly that because they knew the port were going to close, so they moved their things away before it closed. So that's the strategic value a lawyer can bring over what legislative changes can bring. So if you're, let's say, in the cryptocurrency field, you know there are so many laws changing all the time. So you can just sit them and wait for them to come and hit you in the face, or you can just try to guess what these laws will be and build a product that is by default built to resist these laws. In which case, you'll be ahead of the other companies whose products are not built for these laws, who may need to reverse engineer it and may need to take years to comply. It's the same thing if you look at these big tech giants today. They're having all the difficulties in the world to comply with privacy laws because their business model does not work the law. Nobody saw it coming that there would be a GDPR, which is a big privacy law in the EU that would apply across a big part of the world. But the truth is we could have seen it coming. So lawyers also have this strategic thing where they can help your business be more competitive if you help them understand your technology.
1: Thank you, Vanessa. The point at the end was so interesting, I think I started to wear out the tape a little bit. And as well, my sincere thanks to Dr. Sunil Chaudhry. It was a really interesting chat, and I recommend that you check out the resources and the paper that are linked in the show notes. This has been Cybercriminology, a podcast about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. It's produced by me, but it's only really made possible by the kind guests who share their time and their research. You can find out more about the show at cybercriminology.com. Or you could talk to me at CyberCriminology on Twitter.